Chapter 5 of the Book of Foundations by St. Teresa of Avila. This is a Discerning Hearts recording read by Chris McGregor. The Book of Foundations, written by St. Teresa of Avila and translated from the Spanish by the Reverend John Dalton. It is not my intention nor wish that what I shall now say should be considered so true and just as to be taken for an infallible rule, for it would be quite foolish to do this in matters so difficult. But as there are many paths in this road of the Spirit, I may perhaps say something to the point concerning some of them. And if they who walk not in this path understand me not, it may be that they walk in another way. But if I benefit no one, may our Lord accept my good will since he knows that although I have not experienced all this myself, I have observed it in other souls. And first of all, I wish to show, according to my poor capacity, in what consists the nature of perfect prayer. For I have met with some who seem to imagine the whole matter to consist in thinking, and if they can keep their mind fixed on God, though by great violence to themselves, they immediately consider themselves to be spiritual persons. And if, being unable to continue thinking any longer, they should be obliged to turn their mind to anything else, even to things good and meritorious, they immediately become greatly afflicted and fancy they are lost. Persons who are well instructed will not have such ignorant fancies, though I have met with such. But as for us women, it is proper we should be instructed concerning everything. I admit that it is a favor of our Lord to be able always to keep our thoughts fixed on him and to be meditating on his works. And it is good to endeavor to do this. But we must remember that all minds are not naturally fit for such an exercise. But to love, all souls are fit. In another place, I have mentioned the causes of this inconstancy of our imagination. But I think I did not mention all for this would be impossible, but only some of them. At present, therefore, I do not treat of these, but only wish it to be understood that the soul is not the thinking nor the willing, though it befit the soul should regulate herself by them. Otherwise, sad would be her lot, as I said above. Hence, the proficiency of the soul consists not in much thinking, but in much loving. And if you ask me how this love must be acquired, I answer, by resolving to do the divine will and to suffer for God, and in effect doing so when occasion shall offer. It is quite true that by thinking on what we owe to God, who he is and who we are, the soul gradually acquires a determined will, which brings great merit and for beginners is very excellent and useful. But this is to be understood only when nothing comes to interfere with obedience and the welfare of our neighbor to which charity binds us. For in such points relating to either of these two duties, we must find time to leave that which we desire so much to give to God. In our opinion, being alone, meditating on him, and rejoicing in the caresses he bestows on us, to leave these delights for any of the two objects above is to please him, and to do what he himself has spoken of with his own mouth. Amen, I say to you, 
As long as you did it to one of these, my least brethren, you did it to me. St. Matthew, chapter 25, verse 40. And as regards the obedience, he wishes us to walk in no other way. Whoever therefore loves him, let him follow our Lord, for he became obedient even unto death. If then this be true, whence preceded that disgust which we frequently find in us, when for a great part of the day we have not been retired and absorbed in God, although we were engaged in these other things, in my opinion, it proceeds from two causes. The first and principal one is our own self-love, which in a very subtle manner mixes itself up with our actions and therefore cannot easily be discovered. And this self-love consists in wishing to please ourselves rather than God. For it is quite clear that when a soul has once begun to taste how sweet is the Lord, she finds greater pleasure in her body being free from labor and her heart being delighted by divine caresses. Oh, the charity of those who truly love their Lord and know their own condition. How little rest do they take if they can be of any use in advancing the welfare of one soul and increasing her love of God or if they can give her any comfort or free her from any danger. How little do such souls look to their own individual comfort, and when they do no good by their works, they endeavor to do something by their prayers, importuning our Lord in behalf of those numerous souls whom they grieve to see in danger of eternal destruction. And thus bewailing their lot, they lose all their pleasure and consider it as quite lost, because they pay no regard to their own happiness, but consider only how they may best accomplish the will of God. And thus it is with obedience. It would be a strange thing if when God should clearly tell us to do something which regarded him, we should not do it, but stand gazing upon him, because we thus pleased ourselves the most. This would indeed be a curious advancement in the love of God, it would be binding his hands under the idea that there was but one way in which he could make us advance. Omitting what I myself have experienced, as I have said, I know many persons with whom I have spoken who have instructed me in this truth when I was in great trouble for having so little leisure. And thus I pitied them to see them always occupied in business and in other matters which obedience commanded. And I thought within myself, as I told them, that it was impossible amidst such confusion and disturbance to increase in virtue. O Lord, how different are thy ways from our ideas! And what dost thou require of a soul who is already determined to love thee and give herself entirely into thy hands, but that she should obey and inform herself of what tends most to thy service, and this desire and nothing more? She has no need to seek out new paths, nor to choose between them, for her will is now thy will. Thou, O my Lord, takest upon thyself the care of conducting her where she shall advance the most. And though the superior may not take the trouble of guiding her in the way most advantageous to her, but employs her only in those duties which he thinks tend most to the good of the community, Thou, O oh my God, dost conduct her. 
disposing her and all her employments in such a manner that, without her understanding how, she finds herself advancing in spirit with great profit, obeying with fidelity every command, so that afterwards she is astonished thereat. Such a one was that person whom I spoke a few days since, who by obedience had for fifteen years been so engaged in his duties and offices that during all this period he did not remember to have had one day for himself. Although he endeavored, as far best as he could, to devote some spare time in the day to prayer and the purifying of his conscience. This soul was the most inclined to obedience that I ever saw, and he even imprints this virtue on all with whom he converses. Our Lord has liberally rewarded him, for without his knowing how, he enjoys that liberty of soul so highly valuable, which the perfect possess, and in which consists all the happiness that can be hoped for in this life. For, deserving nothing, he possesses all things. Such souls neither fear nor covet anything on earth. Afflictions do not disturb them, nor pleasures elate them. In fine, nothing can rob them of their peace, since it depends on God alone. And since nothing can take God away from them, the fear of losing him can alone disturb them. Everything else in the world is in their eyes as if it were not, because it neither gives nor takes away their joy. O oh, happy obedience, happy distraction, which can procure us so much good. But this is not the only person whom I have known. There are many others whom I have known in a like manner, though I have not seen them for several years. And when I have asked them in what employments they had passed their time, I found that they were entirely occupied in works of obedience and charity. On the other hand, I perceived such an improvement in them in spiritual things that I was astonished. Oh, then, my daughters, let there be no neglect, but when obedience calls you to exterior employments, as, for example, into kitchen, amidst the pots and dishes, remember that our Lord goes along with you to help you both in your interior and your exterior duties. I remember a religious once told me that he had determined within himself always to do whatever his superior should command him, no matter what trouble it gave him. One day it happened that being quite spent with labor and not able to stand on his legs, he wished to rest himself, for it was evening. When he had sat down, his superior came and found him and bade him take a spade and go dig in the garden. The good man said nothing though so completely exhausted that he could do nothing. He took a spade, however, and as he was going into the garden by a certain passage, which I saw many years after this was related to me, when I found it a house in the very town, our Lord appeared to him with his cross on his shoulders, and so faint and weary as to make him understand that what he then suffered was nothing in comparison with what his Savior endured. I believe that as the devil knows well, there is no path which conducts us sooner to the highest perfection than that of obedience. It is for this reason he tries to raise so many disgusts and difficulties under the appearance of good. And let this truth be marked well, and men will clearly see that I speak the truth. It is manifest that the highest perfection does not consist in interior delights, 
nor in sublime raptures, nor in visions, nor in having the gift of prophecy, but in making our will so conformable with the will of God that whatever we know, he shall desire, that also we shall desire with our whole affection, and we shall receive what is bitter as joyful, as what is sweet and pleasant, remembering that such is the will of his divine majesty. This appears a most difficult thing, not so much to do it as to take pleasure in that which is directly opposed to our natural inclinations. That such is the case is quite true, but love, if it to be perfect, is so powerful that we forget our own pleasure in order to please him whom our soul loves. But most certain it is that however great our labors may be, when we know that thereby we please God, they become sweet to us. And in this manner, those who have arrived at such perfection love persecutions and disgrace and injuries. This truth is so certain and so clear that there is no necessity to dwell on it. I particularly wish it to be understood that the reason why obedience, in my opinion, is so quick and so sure a means of arriving at so happy a state is this, that as we are by no means masters of our own will, so as purely and sincerely to devote it all to God and to subject it to reason, obedience is the shortest and most efficacious means of doing so. To hope to subject it by sound arguments is never going to come to a conclusion and is a path broad and dangerous withal. For our nature and self-love invent so many reasons that we should never attain this state of obedience, and often what our reason considers the best, that appears to us foolish on account of the little pleasure we feel in doing it. I have so much to say on this subject that I should never end with speaking of this interior conflict, and of all the excuses the devil, the world, and our own sensuality raise to induce us to deviate from our reason. What then is the remedy? It is this. Just as an umpire is chosen in a very doubtful lawsuit, and the parties, tried with going to law, place the matter in his hands and abide by his decision, so the soul chooses a person, either her superior or a confessor, with the determination to have nothing to do with the lawsuits, nor to think more of her cause, but to rely upon the words of our Lord who has said, He that hears you, hears me, and not to heed to her own will. Our Lord values this submission so much that by exercising ourselves therein a few times and disengaging ourselves from self-love, though this costs us a thousand conflicts which appear to us ridiculous as we are judges in our own cause, we arrive by this painful exercise to conform our will with what we are commanded but with or without pain, we are at length to do it. And our Lord helps us so much on his side that because we subject our will and reason to others for his sake, he makes us masters of our will. Then, being masters of ourselves, we are enabled with perfect freedom to direct it entirely to God, giving him a sincere will that he might unite it with his, and beseeching him that the fire of his love may descend from heaven and consume the sacrifice, we on our own part, avoiding all that may displease him, 
and then there is no more to be done by us, having, though after many labors, placed our will on the altar. And as far as he lies in us, not suffering it to be defiled by the earth. It is evident no one can give what he has not, but he must first have it himself. Believe me, then, that to acquire this treasure, there is no better way than to dig and labor for it in the mine of obedience. And the more we shall dig, the more we shall find, and the more we subject ourselves to men, having no other will but that of our superiors, the more we shall be masters of our will, to conform it to that of God. See, sisters, if our leaving the delights of solitude be not well rewarded. I tell you that for want of it, you will not fail to dispose yourselves for obtaining this true union above mentioned, which is to make our will one with God's will. This is the will I desire and wish to see in you all, and not raptures, however sweet they may be, to which the name of union has been given, and such it may be if accompanied by what I have spoken of. But if there be little obedience after this rapture, and our own will remains, this will be united with self-love, in my opinion, and not with the will of God. May his divine majesty be pleased that I practice what I understand. The second cause of this disgust is, I think, the following that as in solitude there are less opportunities of offending God, though some can never be wanting, considering how the devil and ourselves are in every place, the soul seems to advance with more purity, and if she be afraid of offending him, it is indeed a very great comfort to have no stumbling blocks in our way. And certainly this appears to me a stronger reason not to desire to speak with anyone than to enjoy great consolations and delights from God. But here it is, my daughters, that your love must appear not in corners, but in the midst of occasions. And believe me, that though there may be more imperfections and even some slight faults, yet our gain is beyond all comparison greater. Remember, however, that I always speak under the supposition we perform those duties by obedience and charity. And when these do not bind us, I always maintain that solitude is better and that we may desire it even though engaged in duties I have mentioned. Indeed, this desire is continually found in those souls who sincerely love God. I say then it is a gain to us because those occasions make us understand who we are and how far we have advanced in virtue. A person who is always in solitude, however holy he may appear to be, knows not if he possesses patience and humility, nor has he any means of knowing this. In the same manner, how can a man know if he be very courageous unless he's been in battle? St. Peter thought himself very brave, but you know what he was when temptation came. Though he rose again after his fall, confiding on no account in himself, but ever after putting all his trust in God. Afterwards, he suffered the martyrdom we read of. Oh, my God, would that we know the greatness of our misery. In everything there is danger, if we only could perceive it, but we do not. And on this account, there is great advantage in our being commanded to do things, because we then see our own baseness. 
one day spent in humility and in a knowledge of ourselves, I consider to be greater favor of our Lord, though it cost us many afflictions and labors than many days spent in prayer. And this the more so, because a true lover loves everywhere and always is thinking of his beloved. It would be hard if our prayers could only be made in corners. And I already see there will not be many hours left thus to be spent. But, O my Lord, how powerful with thee is one sigh coming from the bottom of an afflicted heart when we see that it is not enough for us to live in this land of exile, but that we also want the opportunity of being in solitude so as to be able to enjoy thee. Here it appears that we are his slaves, willingly sold by his love to the virtue of obedience, since for it we in a manner forego the enjoyment of God himself. And all this is nothing if we consider that he, through obedience, descended from the bosom of his father and made himself our slave. With what then can this favor be repaid? We must proceed with caution and in no way neglect ourselves so far in these duties done by obedience and charity as not frequently to think of God in our interior. And believe me, it is not the length of time which makes the soul advance in prayer, but when being called to other works by obedience and charity, they do these duties well. Then, as I have said, the soul advances so much that in a very short time she is better prepared for enkindling within her the love of God than wanting these works, she would be spending many hours in meditation. All must come from his hand. May he be blessed forever and ever.